Let me ask you to think back or think back to a graduation ceremony. Perhaps your graduation ceremony, you attended a graduation ceremony, maybe your older brother, older sister's graduation ceremony. Think back to a graduation ceremony. A portion of almost any graduation ceremony is the graduation speaker. I mean, we usually have people that are like the valedictorian or someone from the graduating class speak. That's not who I'm speaking about. I'm thinking about when they bring up a teacher or administrator or special guest to speak to the graduating class. Now, if you can remember, if you, if you are a graduate of high school or college and you can remember who the graduation speaker was at your graduation, you're ahead of most. Now, if you can remember something that they actually said, you would be in a very small percentage. Why do we have the graduation speaker? We have the graduation speaker because supposedly it's somebody who has been there, done that, has some valuable life experience, and they want to pass knowledge along to the new graduates. And it would most likely be some sort of theme, you can do it, you can make it, hard work. What we know about most graduation speeches that we've heard, whether it's our graduation or someone else's graduation speech, we tend to forget the content soon after the event. I want to show you tonight words that were spoken publicly 3,000 years ago that could have been written today and be just as accurate, motivating, encouraging, and challenging. And unlike the graduation speeches you and I have heard over the years, this one is written down for us in God's word, and it's not exactly a graduation speech, but what it is is someone who has been there and done that speaking into the life of the next generation. In this case, it is King David speaking into the life of his son Solomon. This is David. You know David who toppled Goliath, the David who rose from low birth order and unlikely circumstances to become the king of Israel. This is David who wrote many of the Psalms that we have in the Old Testament. We know more about David than just about anyone else in the entire Bible because we have his history recorded in the Old Testament and we also have a window into his thoughts and perspective as he is the author of many of the Psalms. So that David... We have these words from David recorded in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9. And Solomon, my son, David says, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Worship and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and thought. If you seek him, you will find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Learn to know God, David says to Solomon. Learn to know God, the one who's been there and done that, says to the next generation. Learn to know God, not from a distance, not just about God. Learn to know him intimately. Worship and serve him with your whole heart, and willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart, the Lord knows every plan. If you seek God, you will find him, you will know him. This could have been written today and be just as challenging, just as accurate, just as motivating, and just as encouraging. You see that David says, if you seek him, or if you reject him, or if you forsake him, what David is talking about there is a choice. You have a choice, David says. You have a choice if you seek him or if you forsake him. It's a choice. If you choose to live without God, you can make that choice. But be warned, David will say, if you choose that path, if you choose to forsake God, there will be consequences. There will be consequences. Church, let me ask you tonight, what would happen in our city, state, nation, and world if more people lived out the instructions that David gave to Solomon? 
Learn to know God intimately. Worship and serve him with your whole heart and willing mind. How about even us as a church family? What would happen if you and I and People's Church took this to the next level? Learn to know God intimately. Worship and serve him with your whole heart and willing mind. This is where we pick up our Sunday evening message series, the most important part of your daily life. We're talking about how from God's view, the most important thing that we can do each and every day, not just on Sundays, not just on Sunday mornings, and you're already ahead because you're here Sunday night as well, but worshiping is not just something that's reserved for this place on Sundays. Worship is something that God invites us to be part of each and every day of our life. Time when we have one-on-one -on -one Letting God, how, letting God know how much we love him, how grateful we are for him, and how amazing we know that he is. Throughout this message series, Pastor and I are selecting songs that we're going to sing during the message. Many of you have shared, as you've been part of this series, great positive feedback about how much you've enjoyed this. And if you are here for the first time tonight, I believe you're really going to enjoy this. We're gonna sing some new songs, some old songs, some familiar songs, and some songs that may be not so familiar. Tonight, as the Spirit leads, we will celebrate communion together in just a few minutes. God is looking for people who want to know him. God is looking for people in Salem, Oregon, and our surrounding area who want to know him. Part of knowing God is turning away from what is not from him. Part of knowing God is turning away from what is not for God. So I want you to think about tonight, if you think about your mind, your heart, your soul, if you think about that as real estate, how much real estate tonight is occupied by what is not from God or for God? How much real estate in your mind, body, and soul is occupied by what is opposed to God and what is at odds with his way? We call it sin. How much real estate tonight is sin allowed to occupy in your mind, body, and soul? Let's set the table tonight by saying this. We're all dealing with something. We're all dealing with something. We're all working on something. No one here gets to say, good, tonight we're talking about sin, and thankfully I have none to worry about, so this message is for maybe them or them, but it's certainly not for me. Can we just approach the starting line of this time together by saying, we're all working on something. We're all working on something. Anger, pride, ego, fear, selfishness, addiction, deception, gossip, we're all working on something. God is pure, he is without sin, God's way is always right. I want you to think about two swimming pools, two swimming pools. One perhaps is clean, one is full, hasn't been tended to in months or years. You can picture this in your mind, right? Which one would you rather jump into? The one that's been tended to, the one that's clean, the one that's been well-maintained, the one that's been purified, or the one that's full of junk and moss, mildew, whatever else is in there? We long for the purity. The sin we have in our life, a little or a lot, sin pollutes our lives and it separates us from God. We have a friend who likes to use this example. What if I presented you with a bottle of water? You're th it's a hot day. You've been outside working, sweaty. 
you're parched. And I come to you and I've got a, a bottle of water. And it's so cold that you can just see that it's, it's like just above freezing. It's so cold and it looks so good. And I offer you this bottle of water and I say, I want to offer you this drink. Now just 1% of this is poison. But the other 99% is pure. Enjoy. You would reject that bottle of water. If there's even one portion of us that is impure, God wants to work on that in our life. Becoming more like Christ is a believer's lifelong journey and mission. Becoming more like Christ is a believer's lifelong journey and mission. And part of becoming more like Christ is separating ourselves from sin. You and I, the moment that we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, our sins are forgiven. We're made new. We're restored in the eyes of God. But if we've been a Christian for even one minute, we know that even though we've been forgiven, separating ourselves from sin is a lifelong journey. The Apostle Paul, in a letter to the church in Ephesus after the death and resurrection of Christ as the early church is gaining momentum, Paul in this letter to the church in Ephesus, Paul gives us this great description of identifying any real estate in our soul that's occupied by sin like anger, pride, ego, fear, addiction, something else, and allowing the Holy Spirit to take over that space. Check this out with me. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 18. Paul writes this, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're gonna do that in just a moment. Among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There is spiritual garbage that has the potential to ruin our lives. And here Paul singles out alcohol, using alcohol to numb the pain, escape the problems, relieve the stress, needing alcohol to make it through the day. Many of us would say we've had a moment when we realize that if we continue down a path, embracing or indulging what is not from God, we realized it would ruin us. So instead of allowing or permitting that sin to occupy real estate in our mind, body, and soul, Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Very simply, remove that, remove what will ruin your life and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Remove what will ruin your life and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now it's so interesting that Paul grabs the example of alcohol because dating back to ancient times, Alcoholic beverages have been referred to as spirits. Spirits. Anyone who has been filled with those kind of spirits, you probably have a story of the negative consequences that resulted. You drove when you should not have been driving. You got angry and broke something or hurt someone. You went to bed with someone and regretted that choice in the morning. You called your ex-girlfriend at two in the morning, or worse yet, you called your boss at two o'clock in the morning. The point is this, being filled with those kind of spirits has an impact on our outward actions. Something happens to the mind, body, and soul when filled with spirits, spirits that cause drunkenness. When we remove what will ruin our life and fill that space with the Holy Spirit, look at what happens. Verse 19, we will praise and worship God. Verse 20, we will thank God for all things. Verse 21, we will live a life submitted to Christ. The prophet Isaiah describes what happens in a powerful encounter he had with God. In this encounter, Isaiah says he saw God sitting on a throne wearing a robe that filled the temple. 
Isaiah saw winged heavenly beings called seraphim surrounding God. Isaiah chapter six, verse three and four. The seraphim were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. So here is Isaiah in the presence of the almighty God. Watch Isaiah's reaction to being in the presence of a pure, holy, and righteous God. Verse five, then I said, Isaiah, it's all over. I am doomed for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. In this moment, Isaiah is overwhelmed by the sin that separates him from God. Maybe you've had a moment like this in your own life. You went through life for a, a long period of time thinking, you know what, God and I, we're good. He understands. And then perhaps you had a moment like Isaiah when you were overwhelmed by how distant the gap was between you and your heavenly father. You were overwhelmed by the weight of your sin. You realized truly how far apart you were from God. Verses six and seven. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Praise God. Your guilt is removed, your sins are forgiven. What was available for Isaiah then is available for us now. We acknowledge that our sin separates us from God and realize there is nothing that we can do under our own power to make things right. And as a result, we realize our need for a savior. And that savior is Jesus Christ. We say, Jesus, I declare you as the Lord of my life. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for hope. Guilt is removed because of God's mercy and grace. Sins are forgiven. Who can imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken.
Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the one who set me free. Praise the one who set me free. The one who has broken every chain. There is salvation in the name of Jesus Christ. We have a living hope. We're so thankful that in the moments when we realize how far the gap is between us and our Heavenly Father, that that's not the end of the story. In that moment, we realize how much we need a Savior, and our Heavenly Father loves us so much that he sent one. He sent his Son, Jesus Christ. A few weeks ago, we talked about how the word ministry is very much connected to the word response. We see a person in need, the Spirit seeks to our soul, so we respond, we minister to the person who is in need. The early church, the first followers of Christ, they knew their ministry was first to the Lord. They understood that God loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ. Because of what God did for them, they responded with worship, prayer, and fasting. Look with me at Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse one. One day, as these men were worshiping, one day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, as they were worshiping, as they were ministering to the Lord, that's when the Holy Spirit spoke to them. Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. Did you catch what happened here? As these first followers of Christ were worshiping, it was impressed upon them to send out Barnabas and Saul. So what did they do? They sent out Barnabas and Saul. They were responding to God because of what he had done for them, and in return, God responded to their worship. God's response was to raise up Barnabas and Saul. It was obvious to all involved that Barnabas and Saul were being sent not because it was their idea. What we see here is not like they were having a church meeting and Paul and, and Saul and Barnabas come in and say, hey guys, we have an idea. We think you should send us out and we'd love to have your stamp of approval on this. That's not what happened. What, happens, what happened is that they were worshiping like what we just did. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit moved in that room and said, send out Saul and Barnabas. As they were responding to God with worship, God responded back to them with an action step. I want you to send these two out. As a result of worshiping, prayer, and fasting, God revealed his method. God revealed his plan, his wisdom, and his power. This will be true for you as well. Through your response to God, your worship, your prayer, your spiritual discipline, God will reveal to you his method, his plan, and his wisdom, and his power. We're about to sing a song called, Wherever He Leads, I'll Go. Wherever He Leads, I'll Go. I think this was kind of funny this week. I sent over to Pastor Dan the songs that we were going to do tonight, and I said, uh, I put this song on there, but instead of putting the title, Wherever He Leads, I'll Go, I wrote, Wherever I Lead, He'll Go. And a few minutes later, Pastor Dan responded to me by email, and he goes, Pastor Tom, I just want to double check. I have searched the archives, and I cannot find a song that goes by the title, Wherever I lead, God will go. And I said, Dan, that's a good check, a good catch. If we have a song 
that goes by the title, Where I Lead, God Goes. We should remove that from our library immediately because that's not how God designed it. The joy and peace that God wants to experience is linked to this concept, where God leads, I'll go. I'll go. Wherever he leads, I will go. Amen. Worshiping God is a commitment renewed daily. Worshiping God is a commitment renewed daily. Every day. Every day you and I have a choice. Am I going to worship God today? So you wake up tomorrow Start your Monday, and you're going to make a choice. Am I going to worship God today? Then on Tuesday, you and I, we're going to wake up, and you and I will make a choice. Am I going to worship God today? Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we wake up, make a choice. Am I going to worship God today? And this is a question that we answer with our actions and not with our words. Look at what happened to people who were supposedly following God about 500 years before Jesus was born. Ezekiel chapter 44, beginning in verse 10. And then, and the men of the tribe of Levi who abandoned me, when Israel strayed away from me to worship idols, must bear the consequences of their unfaithfulness. They may still be temple guards and gatekeepers, and they may slaughter the animals brought for burnt offerings and be present to help the people, but they encouraged my people to worship idols, causing Israel to fall into deep sin. So I have taken a solemn oath that they must bear the consequences for their sins, says the sovereign Lord. The spiritual leaders strayed. It's a powerful word, strayed. It was not a sudden turning away from God. They strayed, they wandered, they drifted, they were seduced away. The spiritual leaders redirected away 
the attention and affection that was supposed to be for God, they redirected that away to idols. And as a result, the people followed the spiritual leaders and they were on a path to suffer the consequences for their choices. Then we see a contrast in a different group, verses 15 and 16. However, the, Le the Levitical priests of the family of Zadok continued to minister faithfully in the temple when Israel abandoned me for idols. These men will serve as my ministers. They will stand in my presence and offer the fat and blood of the sacrifices, says the sovereign Lord. They alone will enter my sanctuary and approach my table to serve me. They will fulfill all my requirements. Faithful in the presence of God. The royal priesthood had to perform two vital functions, ministry to the Lord and ministry to the people. We must desire a sense of nearness to the Lord. Let me ask you tonight, is there anything that could come up that would hinder your desire to worship the Lord? I believe that it's God's desire that nothing, nothing will come up that will cause us to say, I'm going to put my worship on hold. No pandemic, no recession, no politics, no depression, no career strife, no busyness, no family trouble. It is our Heavenly Father's desire that nothing will hinder our desire and our passion to worship our Heavenly Father. Never gonna stop. We were just getting going. <laughs> Can we do it one more time? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's right. That's right. We're here to declare that nothing is ever going to stand in our way. We're, whatever the world could possibly throw at us, it's not going to stop us from singing about how much we love God, how thankful we are for him, how amazing he is, how awesome he is. We're never going to stop singing. One of the most well-known conversations Jesus had, because it's one of the most well-known conversations Jesus had, that means it's one of the most famous conversations in all of world history. One of the most famous conversations in all of world history is a conversation that Jesus had with a Samaritan woman at a well. In that conversation, Jesus says this to the woman, the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Remember we said as we started this conversation that God is looking for people who desire relationship with him. The Father is looking for those who will worship him. God desires to be in relationship with people who will come before him in spirit and truth. God honoring life-giving worship engages spirit and truth. In spirit means with the whole heart, with real passion for God. In truth, in truth means that that passion that comes in the spirit of worship, it is driven by knowledge of the God that we worship. Our appreciation for God as we learn about him by studying his word, we understand more about him and that solid foundation of our knowledge of God, the truth of God, is what drives our adoration and affection for him in worship. The more we know about Jesus, the more we realize his love, grace, and mercy. Have you ever noticed that sometimes with people, the more you know about them, maybe that causes some tension in the relationship? The more you know about a person, the more you know about their faults, the more you know about their troubles, the more you realize their imperfections. Isn't it amazing that the opposite is true when we think about Jesus? The more we know him, the more we realize how perfect he is. The more we, we know him, the more we realize how holy he is, how righteous he is, how his ways are superior to all other ways. Worship increases our desire for what is good in God's eyes. And as a result, our appetite decreases for the sin that has the potential to ruin our lives. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, you are good. There is a name I love to hear. I love to sing its word. It sounds like music.
Thank you, Jesus. You may be seated. If you're watching at home or somewhere else, take um, some bread and some juice. In a moment, we'll be sharing the Lord's Supper. Pastor Tom Murray, we're very grateful for your ministry through the day, all three morning services, and tonight it's been a great blessing to hear your heart and to enjoy the anointing that God has put within you and your leadership. Thank you so very much. Tonight, you and I have the privilege to approach the Lord's table. It's called a, the Lord's table. It's a communion table. We're called to be participants, not just spectators. I want you to think about that. We're participating tonight to receive all that God has for us will require us to be a participant and not just an observer. We're not here for ritual. We're not here to go through the motions because this is what we always do and we go and, we, and we're done, praise God. We need to experience every blessing that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection affords us. It will require faith. And this happens as we come before the Lord carefully, carefully. Tonight I want to remind you what the Word says in the way of a warning. A warning before we take communion. I want to read to you from a familiar passage of Scripture from 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. We may have something gone with one person or a person or someone that we have not forgiven in life. Something's gone wrong and we're angry inside. We may think it's just towards that person or this person, but look at what it happens. It goes, it affects God, it goes directly to the Lord. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Verse 28 reminds us that we're to examine ourselves before we eat the bread and drink the cup. And notice in verse 30, that is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep but if we judge ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. Let's remember that the context of this passage is that the church of Corinth was experiencing strife, chaos, there was division in the church, there was sin among them. They were not treating the Lord's table with respect. And as a result, they were not walking in love towards each other. And as a consequence, many of them were sick, and there had been quite a number that had died, according to verse 30. So Paul exhorts them to do what? Examine yourself. Our thoughts, our words, our actions, before we approach the table of the Lord. The reason we do that God's word says, is that we won't be disciplined by the Lord. It's better to discipline yourself than let the, door, the Lord have to do that. His discipline is serious. Verse 28 calls us to examine ourselves. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to do that. It doesn't tell me examine you or you to examine me. It says, look within. Is there something that's wrong? Is there something that's un? covered? Is there some hostility in me? Is there some unforgiveness? Is there some anger towards somebody? Are you walking in forgiveness? I hear people in this day say, I'm so angry with the government, so angry with the election, so angry. Come on, just be careful now. We must not allow anything to keep us from partaking in the blessings God has for us at his table. So let us consider Am I ready to receive the Lord's Supper tonight in light of the exhortation of the Word? Am I living in a manner that pleases and honors the Lord? Am I obeying His commandments? I want to tell you a very brief story. Bonnie and I were pioneer pastors in the great state of Virginia. 
And the church had seen explosive growth, and a woman in the church came forward and said to, uh, to Bonnie, she said, I'd like to just help you. Can I help by cleaning your house? Bonnie was reluctant at first. She finally agreed, and Delane came and cleaned our house on a, every week or every other week. She did laundry. She helped us with our children. It was an amazing blessing. She, uh, she had a son who was a lawyer who was in partnership with another lawyer. Neither one of them were serving the Lord. And she told us the story one day that they were the son and his lawyer friend were in Mobile Bay on a big boat that they owned, and they were out fishing, and they got to drinking, and one of them said to the other, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in, 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 uh, in his judgment, I don't believe he can do anything to me. So he stood on the, on the helm of the, of the ship and raised his hands. There wasn't a cloud in the sky that day, and said, God, if you're here, strike me dead, and I'm going to prove to my friend that you don't exist. And out of nowhere, there came a bolt of lightning and hit him right in the chest and blew him up. And that man died instantly. All I could think about when I heard that is how dumb is it to bait the living God by carelessness or carnality and um, think that it's going to work for you. The communion table tonight is a place of blessing, but... The word makes it clear it's also a place of judgment. The only thing that makes you and me worthy to, to receive the communion elements tonight is the blood. The blood has washed us. We need once again to say, Lord, is there anything within that doesn't honor you? Is there any sin? Is there anything that I've not noticed? Would you point it out to me right now? We're going to take a moment and ask you to do just that. Would you make where you sit an altar to the glory of God? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Reveal, Lord, your presence, what you see about us tonight. Thank you, Lord Jesus. The end of all things is coming soon. And you will see my glory, and you will be called home. Before that happens, I promise that I would pour my spirit out on all flesh. I long to do greater things in you than you have dreamed or imagined. I long to show my power before this broken culture you live in. So I call you tonight to come close, that you would hear my heart, that you would know me, that you would walk with me, that you would experience something every day of my great presence in your life. I won't do it without your permission, without your partnership, so come close. If you'll draw nigh to me, I will draw nigh to you. And in these last days, I will prove my power is at work in your life, in your home, through your influence, in this community, and to the ends of the earth through my Spirit's presence. So I beckon you to come nigh tonight, to come close, 
to experience my glory in a new and deepened way. I wait for you, says the Lord. Hmm. The message of tongues and interpretation of tongue comes because God is wanting to speak clearly and directly to our hearts. And we hold great respect for the Holy Spirit and his presence to come among us. We desire the Spirit to have his way. So as we have paused for these moments, I pray that you have spoken with the Lord and invited him to come close. Thank you for cleansing us, Lord, purifying us. We all have some level of debris on our minds and our emotions, in our, in our remembrances of things that have happened. Take those things, Lord, and turn them for kingdom gain. We don't want to be dragged by those thoughts and to be burdened with them. We jettison them like old, old trash. We just discard tonight at your altar, and we welcome the moving of your spirit. We welcome your healing hand. We know that in your presence, miracles happen, and we welcome the glory of God in these moments. Thank you, Jesus. I would like to direct your attention to verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul said, I received from the Lord what also I passed unto you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my body, which is for you. Thank God for my brothers and my sisters, but he wants to do something for you tonight. Hallelujah. Do it in remembrance of me. So would you take the bread from the little device you've been given? Would you hold it before the Lord? We thank you, Lord, that the bread reminds us that you've done something or you have something available for each of us. You are interested in ministering to everyone. And I thank you. This is your body that we celebrate that was broken for us. Sorrow and confusion, disappointment and emptiness, you bore for us. Our sin you bore in your body. You took stripes for our healing. Oh, Jesus, we believe it. And because we believe it, we believe there's to be a demonstration of that uh, manifestation of your victorious touch in our lives. So as we take this bread, we do so in confidence that you're ministering to us as we are ministering to you. And now we receive this bread in Jesus' name. Shall we eat together? When he had given thanks, he said, this is my body which is for you. Do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. I remember what Jesus did. I never want to forget. I want to remember every day of my life what Jesus has done for me and to live in humility, gratitude, and profound awareness of his goodness. I've received from the Lord, he said. Hallelujah. You and I have received from the Lord. The, the songwriter said, pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. I pray that you would enjoy double portion of his peace because he has pardoned us. And so as we approach this cup, Lord, we do so realizing that 
The price you paid was a powerful price. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. Thank you, Jesus, that your blood has set us free, that the devil has no claim on us, no hold on us, and we rejoice in our freedom and in the peace that is ours through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Shall we drink together? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Shall we stand together and worship the Lord? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood. of Jesus there's nothing else that has the power to wash our sin white as snow to purify us and restore us worship team would you just continue to play a little bit as we prepare for the last song of the evening guys up top if you wouldn't mind just for in these closing moments lowering the lights in the sanctuary as we take one last moment here to reflect and respond to what the Holy Spirit has been up to in our hearts and our minds tonight. I'm just gonna encourage you right now to have this continued moment with you and your heavenly Father. As we had, as we launched into this uh, conversation tonight, this message, we talked about the real estate of our mind our heart and our soul reflecting on the question how much real estate have we actively or passively allowed to be occupied by sin how much real estate have we said you know what God you can have this much but this little area here or this big area I'm holding that back from you I know as I prepared to take communion tonight, God spoke to me about some very specific things. And I believe that's true for many of us tonight. So as we begin to sing this closing song tonight, I'm gonna invite you. And for some, this may be a step of boldness. If you have something that you want to come and lay at this altar tonight, this would be a time that you could do that. This would be a time that you can step forward, come down to this altar, and if you choose, that's why we have these benches at, at, at the front. It's a place for you to kneel and say, this real estate in my mind, my body, and my soul that I've allowed actively or passively to be occupied by sin. I'm going to surrender that to you, Father. Asking you to take that area and fill it with your Holy Spirit. Because, Father, I want all that you have for me and I want nothing to hold me back. So like I said, I believe that God is working in minds and hearts all over this place. And as the worship team begins to sing this final song, step out. If you're somewhere in the middle of the pew, just say to the person next to you, excuse me, I need to go down to the altar. I have something to lay at the feet of Jesus tonight. And it's no one's business but you and your heavenly Father. It's an act of strength 
Some might say to come forward is an act of weakness, but it is, it is an act of strength to say, Father, I want you in this area. I'm laying it at my feet. The people who are already taking steps forward, they are taking a step of boldness, a step of strength, not weakness. And as the worship team begins to sing, you're invited to come and lay it at the feet of Jesus tonight.